Welcome to the Metabolic MD. Health means everything. We all seek optimal health, but most of us do not know how to achieve it. Dr. Paul Kaladze has spent a career in the emergency department. Now, he helps his patients avoid ever ending up there. During these podcasts, you'll learn how you can lose weight and prevent and reverse disease through new technology, a modified diet, and the use of some new recently approved FDA medications. This information is not meant to be medical advice. Please seek consultation from your own medical provider. Let's listen in. All right, listeners, how are you all doing today? I'm Terry O'Brien, the producer of the Metabolic MD with Dr. Paul Kalazic. Dr. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing great here in your new studio, Terry. Yeah, we moved last week, and I will tell you, it is a project. So today, I'm, I'm excited about this podcast because it's not necessarily talking about a medical condition, but we're going to talk about the history of kind of what physicians have gone through and how things have changed over time. Is that correct? That's correct. So why don't we start back with what things were like 40 years ago? So I got out of training in the mid-1980s. Um, and back then, one of the biggest things that was occurring is, is that private practice stocks were in their own practice, literally hanging out a shingle back in those days in small groups. And now that has changed for most physicians. They're really part of a corporate practice, either working for a hospital or health system or a large corporation. So that's a fundamental change. And it's important because it, it has impacted my ability to help people in my metabolic health practice because we're filling a void that sometimes Sometimes those physicians now in those corporate practices have difficulty filling. So let's let's talk a little bit about that because it, most most listeners probably have the same experience I do when I walk into my doctor. Right, I sit there for five minutes. They take my blood pressure. He walks in the door. He logs into the computer. He looks at me, asks me what I'm doing there. I explain. He types. He types. He types. He says, "Well, it's probably this, this, or this." Out the door they go. Right. Why, why is it important that we have more quality time with the doctor? Well, it's important because the focus of medicine, I believe, really should be more prevention than it should be treating disease. And most of the time when you see your doc for that six-month visit or yearly visit, it's really a tweaking of medications, really just managing how we're treating disease. And really what I think medicine should be largely about is preventing and reversing disease. And that's what we do in our health in my practice. So that that I think that is the key. That should be the theme for almost all these podcasts is, is trying to prevent the disease versus treat the disease. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. So let's go. Let's stay back in time a little bit. Explain the, the technology advantages today over what happened you know, 40 years ago, 30 well, years ago. Well, you know, the technology today is amazing with non-invasive surgeries and uh, interventional therapies like angioplasties, um, the new pharmaceuticals. So, you know, we've come miles in that regard. But I think we've lost something a little bit in the transition in terms of taking care of the whole person, taking care of whole families. Uh, I actually... Um, think back to uh, my grandfather who was a physician in rural Ohio in the 1940s and you can just imagine what that was like there wasn't in ter much in terms of medicines there wasn't much in terms of technology but but the docs knew how to understand the patient knew how to understand the family and guide them to optimal health even though they didn't have all those tools back then right they did, used to make house calls remember that that would you would go get in your car and go drive to that patient yeah 
Yeah, they, right. they used to make house calls. I, I got an anecdote to tell you a little bit about. When I started in emergency medicine practice in the 1980s, initially I worked in big trauma centers. And so, you, you know, you would work in a setting and you would have a lot of technology there then, even though it's developed greatly since then. Um, but I worked also in some small emergency departments. And, and quite honestly, you, you know, the TV shows about emergency medicine or the trauma centers and the trauma team descending on, on the patient. But I'll tell you, the toughest place to work for an emergency physician is those small rural hospitals where you're the guy. There's no trauma team. There's no anesthesiologist. When people come through the door, you have to take care of them. Taking care of a five-victim motor vehicle accident um, is very difficult when you're by yourself in the middle of rural Ohio. Um, um, but that was a great experience for me. I can tell you that I, that I worked in one saying I got to share this anecdote, and, and there was a coroner in that county, Doc Gray. People called him Old Doc Gray. <laughs> He's a coroner, okay. He was a coroner. Um, but, you know, he began his practice in the 20s. You know, so you can think he had a 50-year practice, you know, 55-year practice. He was in his mid-80s. He was still county coroner at that time. And, and he used to come in in the middle of the night when I was working the night shift. And we would just, like, kind of, you know, shoot the bull. And he would tell me a little bit about his experiences. And I remember once he, he came in to pronounce a patient dead, you know, an elderly patient. Um, and and I I said, well, you, you know, you've seen a lot of changes in medicine. What, what is one of the biggest changes you've seen? And he said to me this, well, when antibiotics came in, when we first had penicillin, that was a pretty big deal because <laughs> we, had, we had babies that were dying of pneumonia, and we had women that would get infections in childbirth and die, and, and it was tragic. And, and for me to think about what it would have been like to practice medicine without even any antibiotics was really just eye-opening for me. And, and that, I think, kind of keeps perspective for us that, you know, we can rely on the new medicines and we can rely on the new technologies, but, you know, we got to be able to look at the person and, and help the person improve their, their health on their own. So I, I have a question that might be interesting is, are you somebody's Doc Gray right now? Are you, are you spending time with younger physicians where... They think, oh my gosh, right? What's this guy doing? And are are are, are you that guy now? Well, I, I'm that guy in the setting of the shifts. I still work in the emergency department at the VA hospital once a week because I'm working with medical students and residents. Then, and you know, they are smart. You know, they have all. The, the technical insight and the knowledge base, they're very insightful, but they've got to learn more about the communication piece, you, you know, and how to assess the whole patient in order to come to the right diagnosis and treatment plan. So the, the private practice now versus then, right? And I mean now, let's just go back, let's say 40 years. Private practice back then was what three uh, a nurse a receptionist and the doc. That's correct. Yeah, it was just a, or a doc or two, really a small practice. And you know, those docs own the practice, which which I think you know my perspective, biased right or wrong, is I think that can make a difference when you you, you know you, you you own the business that you're working in. And they were all really owners of their practice, so that they really had an interest in their relationship with 
Well, you know, we call them patients now. Sometimes they're called clients or customers. <laughs> I still call them patients. But they really had an understanding of how to have that individual's best interest in mind. And I'm not saying that the docs today don't. No, I but agree. Yeah. But their schedule is so regimented. They have 20 minutes. They have to do this documentation so that the billing for the visit can be at a certain level. And, and I really think um, that... that that has tended us more toward, yeah, let's just adjust your medicines rather than, you know, let's look at the root cause of your problem, like the insulin resistance you have going on. Yeah, so that, that's, that's kind of interesting. So uh, is, I'm going to throw you a curveball, right? H- how is the insurance industry impacting this? Are they the ones driving all this stuff? Well, they, they do at a fundamental level because the billing that a doc can do to stay viable um, is really based on their documentation. And that's really why they've got, you know, their fingers on the computer all the time and maybe not looking at the patient. To look at back at this, I've kind of seen this over the course of the last 40 years. So what happens, a lot of people may not remember this, but what happened was, you know, the docs were out in their practices, you know, in the 1980s and 1990s. And what happened was the insurance industry consolidated. So where you might have seven or eight insurance companies providing providing health insurance in a given market, then all of a sudden there were two or three, United Healthcare or Anthem or Aetna. So it became an oligopoly. And, and what happened then? Well, the hospitals had to respond. The hospitals consolidated. Think about it. You probably live in an area where there were all these small independent hospitals, right, yeah. and now they're all part of a system. So that was all a response to the consolidation that took place in the insurance company. But you know what? The docs got caught in the crossfire. The docs really, in their small practices, you know, focused more on patients, really didn't know how to respond to that. And then what happened is they got consolidated into the other health systems. So let's let's now jump to your practice, right, Metabolic MD. You are the Metabolic MD. Thank so you. So <laughs> what happens... What is different about visiting you versus visiting the primary doc that I might go see and spend 20 minutes in a room with? Well, my role is to be uh, complementary to your primary care doctor. So you have your doc that is, you know, managing your hypertension and manage your cholesterol, making sure you're on the right medicines, making sure you're getting your, uh, you know, every five-year colonoscopy, um, you know, in the and the other routine tests. But, you know... They often do not have time to talk to you about diet and exercise and maybe reversing your prediabetes rather than treating your prediabetes. And that's what we're about. We complement those physicians and bring people in and talk about, you know, diet and exercise and use the continuous glucose monitor so people can get a real understanding on what is going on metabolically with them. And then we put a plan together related to diet, their activity, um, you know, what has to happen maybe in terms of some intermittent fasting to get your insulin level down, why maybe a strength training a better option for you as opposed to uh, a lot of extra cardiovascular fitness. So we complement what that doc is doing. So are you working with that doc? Are you talking to their primary doc? Yeah, we're talking to the docs. And, and quite honestly, this is an interesting dynamic because, you know, we'll have patients that kind of end up sometimes independently come to us. And the doc initially is like, 
you know, are you trying to take my patients or, <laughs> you know, what are you doing over there? And then, and this literally happens, and then when they, that patient loses 40 pounds and their, you know, hemoglobin A1C as a diabetic goes from 9.6 to, you know, 5.8, the, the, the doc that we're working with is appreciative of the fact that, that we're managing that aspect of things and helping them improve the patient's health. Right. I, I think what's, what was fascinating to me as I started dealing with more physicians on podcasts and things like that was the fact that it's really a business. I mean, you're doctors. We, we think you guys sometimes as gods, right, with white coats. Uh, but the, the medical practice is a business. If somebody has a client and that client walks to another doctor, it's like Kroger's losing a client going to Cub Foods or wherever that. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so our our role, my role, really, is, is to help that doc and have them have more ex- success with those patients. Now, are you are you actually reaching out to other docs and, and letting them know that you're there as a alternative? kind of a practice to reach out to? Yeah, absolutely. The As we've progressed over the course of the last few years, we're getting more well-known in our local medical community. Um, let me give you a few examples. One is that uh, we have some OBGYNs now who know that uh, after their patients deliver babies, you, you know, they may have trouble losing weight, you know, getting back in shape. And so we get referrals from the OBGYNs. We get referrals from the orthopedists as well. because the orthopedists, you know, often don't want to operate on patients that, you know, are significantly overweight because those patients have a tendency to have a more poor outcome, have problems with their knee prostheses or their hip prostheses. So those orthodocs will refer patients to us before surgery to get them set up so that they can have the best opportunity for success with their surgery. Right. I've heard that from the other side as well. So that is, that's a very common thing. So we've talked about the past, right, and what medical uh, medical technology, medical operations, how patients were handled in the past. What's the future look like? Well, I, I think the way medicine is structured now, you know, with most primary care doctors working in their offices being pressed for time, uh, I think one of the big aspects of the future is people realizing that they have to take ownership themselves for the preventive aspects of their care and then seeking out a clinician such as metabolic MDs that can help support them do that you know and we help again support them do that by using the continuous glucose monitors and doing a diagnostic evaluation and then maybe continuing to use those monitors to help them guide their diet. Do you think Uh, those monitors are like the key to the future. I mean, we're seeing more and more people, just not people like me who are diabetic, wear them, but you think that's like something that an Apple Watch will do sometime in the future? Kind of thing. Yeah, there's there's no question. So it's non-invasive, 24/7 blood glucose monitoring. Used to be reserved only for diabetics, but again, we're using these in pre-diabetics and non-diabetics to provide tremendous insight into what's going on, you know, with them diagnostically, but then also how can they guide their diet going forward, you know, and lose that 20 pounds. And I think I told you before. Sometimes patients come in and their goal is, you know, I want to lose 20 pounds 
and we put one of these monitors on them and they're spiking sugars to 170, 220. You're actually, I know you came in to lose 20 pounds, but you're actually pre-diabetic or you're diabetic. So let's address that as part of the picture and get that disease process reversed. It, it is amazing because I wear one, right? I've been wearing one before I met you. And to know that you can kind of check real quick to say, well, that pizza really did have a big impact on me. I shouldn't be eating that dang pizza, right? So it, it's a great way that it tells you what you should do and shouldn't do and without somebody nagging at you, kind of, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, we can look at that data. I can look at that data remotely as well. Can you? I didn't uh, know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, if I was your doctor and uh, I had prescribed you your continuous glucose monitor, I could see what was happening with your blood sugars last night. I just, you know. Uh, now I'm worried. <laughs> get, get into the portal. Well, good. Well, good. Well, well, sometimes a little apprehension like that can be a good thing. And this isn't true of all our patients. Um, but, but some patients like that accountability. Yeah, you know, they like the fact that, that their doctor's looking in on what's going on with their blood sugar. And, you know, if that causes them to hesitate before, you know, they have that extra piece of pizza, then I don't view that as necessarily all a bad thing. Well, I, I guess that to me is a, like kind of a crazy thought that, A, you can monitor my pulse, you can monitor my heart rate, you can monitor my EKG, you can monitor my blood sugar, my oxygen levels. Yes. Right. What, what is left that you can't monitor remotely now? Well, there's some lab work that can't be done, you know, <laughs> right. in real time. Um, but, you know, I feel blood sugar is one of the most important parameters. You know, where blood sugar is, is related to insulin resistance. And the biggest problem in the U.S. related to overweight people is that we develop insulin resistance. So right. if we have a tool like a continuous glucose monitor to begin to get a handle on that and address, address that, that's a big thing. Oh, I think it's, it's, it's probably the greatest thing that's happened to me in a long time wearing one of those devices good good yeah. so what, what else we got diet i know we've talked about diet in the past activity yeah th that's a future thing so somehow you're going to be involved in their activity or monitoring their activity yeah uh, again um there are two aspects to activity traditionally, and we're talking about exercise, and that's cardiovascular exercise and uh, strength training. And, and I think people have a tendency to do, this is going to sound strange coming from a doc, but I think people have a tendency to overdo the cardiovascular training. The, the uh, treadmills. And, and ignore, yeah. yeah, and ignore the strength training. You know, as we age, we lose muscle. Right. And, and so really... The amount of strength training you're doing as you get older should be relatively increasing um, because you want to retain that muscle mass. And if you can retain muscle mass, that helps with the insulin receptors on your muscles and helps drive down that insulin level, internal insulin level, to help you maintain your weight. Well, I'll just give you a practical example, right? I just moved. We just moved this studio and moved to our house. Yeah. So there's a lot of lifting and moving, very strenuous things my insulin would drop like a rock yeah. right? because I was so, uh, or my, you know, my, my blood sugar would drop like a rock. I yeah. didn't need as much insulin because I'm working so hard to do that stuff. Right. 
Right. So that's a practical example of how that all impacts each other. Yeah, yeah. So people should do cardiovascular training. The American Heart Association puts out guidelines, but you literally could get all the cardiovascular training according to the American Heart Association in 75 minutes a week. Think about that. That'd be like, you, you know, two under 40-minute sessions. So if, if you're spending four or five hours a week working out, you can really put the bulk of that into strength training. And in my experience with my patients, that really moves them forward in terms of weight loss and improved metabolic health. I think that's a, a, a revolutionary idea, right? Because everybody thinks they're getting on the treadmill. I think I'm getting on the treadmill and I'm doing well. But I, I, I'm i going to start hitting the gym more and doing more curls and things like that. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned to you, you know, I'm doing TikTok videos and I did a TikTok and the title was Get Off the Blank 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 Cardiovascular <laughs> Machine. Apparently people have an interest in that because it got like 1.2 million hits. Oh, wow. Well, you're yeah. like a celebrity down here. <laughs> Anything else we want to talk about since we're talking about just the general practice of medicine now and then that we should, we should say before we go? No, other than I think to realize the situation that your doc is in in terms of their limited schedule and, and to realize that they maybe can't and don't have the time to provide the comprehensive guidance related to lifestyle that is necessary for you to be healthy or reverse disease. And, and when it's, that, it's not their fault, right? They're oh, kind of driven fault, by, you know, some of my best friends are primary care docs and primary care is the backbone of American medicine. But they are in a situation now where, um, you know, they don't make their schedule um, and they only have so much time. And unfortunately, that is front loaded with the management of disease. So I think people have to take ownership of their own health and seek out a metabolic health practitioner that can help support them. Again, as a compliment to their primary care provider. All right. Well, I, this has been an interesting conversation. I could, could do this all day long. Um, I think at this point in time, we're going to wrap this one up, correct? Sounds good. And then we'll hit them again here in a few weeks with another podcast for the Metabolic MD with Dr. Paul Kolasik. Thanks, all. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Metabolic MD with Dr. Paul Kolasik. Please join us again for the next episode to hear how your metabolic health means everything and to learn tips on how to lose weight and possibly reverse some serious health conditions. This information is not meant to be medical advice. Please seek consultation from your own medical professional.